Amen. Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to tell you that uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tim Fortenberry logged in one Sunday, and he thought to himself as he listened to the sermon, I don't believe I've ever heard Joe Hudson talk about El Campo two Sundays in a row. Well, what we figured out is that we'd forgotten to upload the, the, the sermon from this week and get the website ready for the sermon for this week, and the sermon from the previous week was still up. Well, we got a big laugh out of that. So you may be feeling a bit that way this morning because just two weeks ago, um, on May the 24th, to be exact, Ascension Sunday, we heard this same passage of Scripture read. It's, it's one of the unusual times in the lectionary, the New Revised Lectionary, uh, the assigned scriptures for each Sunday, that they repeat a scripture. And there's a reason for that, as you might well imagine, because in the Gospel of Matthew, which is the gospel we're go- working our way through this, this year, In the Gospel of Matthew, the ascension story is the one we read today. Jesus has taken the disciples out onto the hill outside of Galilee and ascends and blesses them and reminds them of the promise of being with them always. But this is also um, Trinity Sunday. And it is also in this particular passage, in the Gospel according to Matthew, that we hear the actual names of God as the Trinitarian God invoked. Jesus says, Go therefore, baptizing in all the world in the name of God, Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. It turns out that this idea of the Trinity is one of the central teachings, we call them doctrines in the church, a central teaching of the Christian faith. Even so, it's, it's kind of difficult, kind of difficult to grasp, certainly mysterious, and uh, most of the pastors who preach this Sunday uh, really wish we didn't have to, because it's hard to explain, because really it is a mystery that is pretty hard to grasp. Well, Matthew is one of the few places in all of the New Testament where the names of God as Creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit are named. In a more traditional reading, it might be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit or in times previous to this and of the Holy Ghost. But this is one of the rare times all three names appear. But in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, the ones that trace the life of Jesus in a Uh, a linear way, they tell the story of Jesus' baptism. And in that story, all three persons of the Trinity show up. Jesus Christ is obviously there, standing in the waters of baptism next to his cousin, John the Baptist. And so Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, is there. 
And then when he is baptized, in all three of these Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the sky opens, and we hear the voice of God, who as creator says, this is my child, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. So God is present as creator. And then, as the skies continue to open, a dove descends, and the dove is the representation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are a few passages in the Hebrew Scriptures that also make reference to the three persons. Um, And one of the most obvious of those is in Genesis, where Abraham encounters three visitors, and he invites the three visitors into his home, and they offer the blessing of a child that is going to come to Abraham and Sarah. Well, let me tell you something. When those three persons refer to themselves and when the scripture refers to them, they do it in the singular. Which is fascinating, isn't it? So that's one of the key places. But what I want to tell you about all of this is that Matthew didn't necessarily intend for the Christian church to develop a doctrine of the Trinity. Instead, um, Matthew was simply making having Jesus say that we are to baptize in the name of God who is creator Christ and Holy Spirit. And that passage in Genesis doesn't necessarily project into the future to a doctrine of the Christian Trinity. And so we need to be careful about reading a lot of things into it. But what I want to tell you is in the course of history, um, the disciples obviously encountered Jesus, the Jewish rabbi of Nazareth, who was an itinerant rabbi. And when they encountered Jesus, they experienced the presence of God. And later, when um, they were at Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came, and they began to experience the, the Spirit present to them, they experienced the presence of God. And out of that... And out of subsequent years in which people of the Christian faith, followers of the way of Jesus, would come together, they tried to make sense of that. How do we understand God in relationship to Jesus? And how do we understand God in relationship to the Holy Spirit? And what can we say about that? Because being predominantly Jewish, they didn't want to say that there were three gods. That would be a violation of their understanding of the one God, the one who had handed down the instructions that you will have no other gods before me. They they didn't want to imply that. And so they began to talk, and at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD, and at the First Council Constantinople in 381 AD, they developed some statements about who God is, who Jesus is, and who the Holy Spirit is. And we find those in things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed and other creeds that have followed to teach us. And in the United Church of Christ, we have a statement of faith that speaks of who God is and how God works in the world and who Jesus Christ is in relationship to God and who the Holy Spirit is in relationship to God and Jesus Christ. 
And from that, we get this teaching, this teaching about the Trinity. Well, you know, as I said, it's very mysterious, and so we can allocate this teaching and pretend that it doesn't exist, and we can just pretend that it's an academic exercise or an intellectual conundrum or a mystery and just leave it at that. But I happen to believe that this understanding of God as three persons who come together in one has very practical application for us, just as it did for the disciples. You know, um, for Jesus' earliest followers, they were in a difficult time, even after the resurrection, even after the 50 days of Easter, even after the ascension, when they had had this mystical encounter of the risen Christ, they still, as the scripture tells us this morning, some of them still doubted. They still wondered, what are we doing? What is going on? What now? And and so, out of their understanding and out of the church's teachings, they came to understand that God was a God who was not just up there, but God was a God who was up there, down here, everywhere. And I remember growing up as a little girl and thinking, oh my goodness, God is everywhere, that's very scary. But really, sometimes I say it this way, that that God is within us and between us and among us and beyond us. That God is not just a distant God, but a God who is present. And and we get that as we encounter creation. We get that in, in our understanding of Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us. And we get that as the Holy Spirit, who is God's presence inhabiting us. You know... Um, I think that this idea of God with us and God in many manifestations and yet one God is really important to us today. Jesus said at the end of that passage, remember I am with you always even to the end of the age. And I think uh, it is important to proclaim that message in our time in this culture today which is too often riddled with individualism and isolation and loneliness and despair and division. I think it's particularly urgent today that we proclaim this message of a God who is close, who is within us, between us, among us, and beyond us. I think it's particularly urgent today as our hearts are broken and our communities are torn apart by the violence and the outrage, the right, righteous outrage, and the rightful outrage over both George Floyd, or over George Floyd's, Breonna Taylor's, and Ahmaud Avery's, among many, many others, murder in particular, and the incidents of police brutality against black people and others who are marginalized. I think this message of God being with us, intimately with us, is an urgent message today when people continue to be infected by COVID-19, to die from COVID-19, particularly in poor and oppressed communities, particularly among the elderly and the infirm. This message 
This message of God's transcendent nature is urgent today as people are still losing jobs, and some have been without jobs for months, and our economic crisis will continue to impact those who have lost their jobs and will continue to impact the poor and the working poor. Some predict that this economic crisis will extend not only through the end of this year, but all into next year. This message of our faith, of a God who shows us different ways of being in the world, is urgent as urgent today as it was for those first disciples. As we continue to deal with division in our politics, white nationalism and racism, a declining environment as our government dismantles environmental protections. And this message, hear me when I say this, this message isn't just about national or local or global issues. This message of a God who dwells with us is one that we need to hear, you and I, when we're hurting, when we're struggling with our relationships, when we're tired of sheltering, when we're exhausted from the lack of human contact with other people, when, we're, when we long to have face-to-face engagement and more. And I, wa- I just want to tell you that it's important to note that those early disciples doubted some. They, it, even after all they had encountered, even after all they had been through, they had doubts, some of them. And so were we. And that's okay. We join our questions with those early disciples saying, how can this be? What is happening? Where is God? What now? So listen. Encountering Jesus Christ, those, that rabbi of Nazareth that was resurrected, those disciples found themselves heart to heart with God. The inspiring presence of the Holy Spirit, the advocate who sustained them and sustains creation even now. And they, through that encounter, made the church possible. Encountering the Spirit, those early disciples found themselves heart to heart with God, the inspiring God the one who sustains us. In the end, the doctrine of the Trinity, listen to this, listen to this, the doctrine of the Trinity developed by the early church leaders is about a God who is living and active in our lives at every turn, creating and recreating, teaching and guiding, refining and empowering So when Jesus Christ says to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, it's a real possibility for them. It's not just pie in the sky. They take to heart this heart-to-heart encounter with a God who is good shepherd, a God who is Emmanuel, God with us, a Holy Spirit who sustains us. And when the disciples asked, what now? 
they could hear the voice of an ascending Jesus Christ say to them, remember, I'm with you always. The idea of the Trinity casts a vision of God as deeply, irreducibly relational. You see that? Three. There are three parts. There are three manifestations, and they're all one. So when the scripture tells us in Genesis that the Spirit of God was over the face of the waters, that's all three in one. Because we don't say the names of God, we say the name of God. Do you hear that? And if we take Genesis 1 seriously, and that human beings are created in the imago dei, the image of God, then in our own way, we must be fundamentally relational. If we want to follow in the way of Jesus, it's about relationship and community. It's about relationship with God and with one another. The doctrine of the Trinity insists that God is with us amidst this crisis that we're in, even in the shadows of our grief and in the shadows of violence, calling us toward the light of justice and love. In fact, I heard one pastor say, you know, uh, what we could say about all this is blah, 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 love. Right? (laughs) In our relationships, if they are not person to person, neighbor to neighbor, regardless of background, then we do not see others as made in the image of God and we become sick, sick of heart, sick of mind, sick of soul, and our communities follow suit. If instead our relationships are person to person and neighbor to neighbor and group to group, regardless of our differences, and we see others as made in the image of God, in the image and likeness of God, then we are healthy, and growing, and thriving. And we are the people God has created us to be. What now, you say? Come with all our fears and doubts, but God meets us in relationship. You have probably seen the Rublev Trinity icon. It is one of my very favorite icons. It is called the Trinity icon because of the three figures that are present that represent God in three persons. What is interesting about the three persons is they all have the same face. They are all one as even they are different. They are all present in all things, even though they, we find responses of them in different ways. Their bodies are all alike, and if you notice the shape, their form forms a chalice. This icon shows us what the Trinity looks like in human form, and that form is relational. So that brings us to the new math of our, of our Christian faith. And that new math is that one plus one plus one 
equals one. And as God as three in one is relational and comes together as one, so we too can come together as one and be the people of God, the relational, neighborly, loving people of God that we have been created to be. God is three and yet one, and God shows us what relationship should look like. So that we may no longer be people who are all about me, myself, and I. But we become people who are about we, us, and our. This understanding, this doctrine, this teaching that is so confounding and so odd to our scientific post, uh, post whatever it is, <laughs> uh, what is it, post-modern culture. This, this, this is maybe the only thing that will, that will save our world, our nation, our very lives, to seek the three-in-one God who is ever with us. Thanks be to God. Amen.